You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Network, at least the first episode with our new hosts. I'm Ken Stapon, joined by Brendan McCarthy and BMAC. Hey, fans, how's it going? Great to have hockey back last night. BMAC, I was just about to bring that up. Hockey is back, and it's a good feeling. The Maple Leafs kicking things off with a little scrimmage against the Montreal Canadiens, and I thought for what it was worth, they looked pretty good in that one. You know what? It was very bizarre to watch. It looked like watching three-on-threes in EA. But it was, I was saying this yesterday, I was watching it. It was a world-class intensified scrimmage. And I think that's how it's going to be. So weird to have no fans and no fan engagement. You know, there's certain plays last night, even though it's exhibition, there's certain plays last night where you're expecting that response from the fans, whether it be a penalty, a goal, a bad call, and you just don't have it. So now you're just going to have more of the dynamic of the player and coaches really be revealed. Well, 140 days since the Maple Leafs last took the ice. And it's been a strange 140 days for us. I'm sure it's been a strange 140 days for a number of the listeners, you know, everything that was going on with COVID and having all the time off. I mean, I know I had more time on my hands than I knew what to do with. Like I was just sitting at home. I mean, I got laid off from both of my jobs. I'm just sitting at home collecting CERB and with nothing to do except for build my dream house in the Sims. And you'll be happy to know that I was able to delete that house prior to the game yesterday, now that the NHL is back in action. I couldn't be happier moving. for it. We He's are moving, moving up. <laughs> we're moving up. No more wasted days. All right, like this scrimmage against Montreal, I get it. It's just an exhibition. But any time that you get these two clubs together, there's going to be a little bit of passion. And I thought that Toronto really rose to the occasion to a degree, taking this game a little bit seriously. Obviously, the defense could tighten up a little bit. But a lot of storylines into this one, not the least of which, Nick Robertson's first game with the Maple Leafs. What do you think about his performance against the Habs last night? I thought he was great, Kenny. He obviously was bounced around early, but that's pretty inevitable. Drew a penalty. Not drew a penalty, sorry. Took a penalty. Uh, but after that, I mean, he had the nice assist on, on, Riley's, on Riley's goal in the third. And he was much, much better in his, in his own zone and much more careful. I thought too. I found once he got his legs together, he was really, really strong yeah. offensively as well. And he was able to create plays and was pretty ferocious on the puck. When you look at the expectations mm-hmm. that Maple Leafs Nation has 
of this kid. I mean, they couldn't be higher. This guy may as well have been a top five draft pick after the way that he was performing this season in the OHL. I mean, putting up tremendous, tremendous numbers, tremendous <laughs> numbers, the best numbers. No, it, it, That's an uncanny impression. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who? He, he like after the numbers that he's been putting up and obviously with the low cap hit Maple Leaf fans are so invested in this young player and I think the expectations could come back to bite him a little bit because whatever he's able to do I mean he could end up just being you know like a 15 goal you know 40 point a year guy and now the Maple Leafs fans have him boosted way up into the echelon of you know with that production of being, you know, a top 10 draft pick in the league. I think it's important to remember this kid's just 18 years old. He is what? Two years experience playing in the OHL. That's right. St. Marie. That's not a huge wealth of experience. And it's going to take time for that younger game to mature to a level where he's able to contribute as a regular at the NHL level. And especially in this situation, just getting thrown right into the fire into you know a play-in series against Columbus, playoff hockey right out of the gate, it's a great opportunity for the kid, but you got to be a little bit nervous for him, no? Well, quite frankly, man, I think this break for Nick Robertson in particular was a blessing in disguise because now Leafs management can be like, hey, you know what? Instead of coming in and trying out for this club in September where it's going to be backed up, why not? Why not play in an exhibition game and maybe a couple playing games against – you know, world-class players, his adjustment will be that much more smoother next year. No doubt that all the games will benefit him. I just wonder if, as a fan base, the expectations are already getting put so high that it's going to be difficult for him to reach them. Because, you know, in Toronto, when the fan base gets a hold and the media gets a hold of a young prospect with this kind of upside, it can easily lead to so much pressure being on the player that they aren't able to meet the expectations, whether fairly or unfairly set, and hit that bar. And there's been so many players who have put up massive numbers in junior that haven't necessarily translated into those that same production at the NHL level. So I'm not saying that I'm not high on the kid. I think that he's a great draft pick, you know, second round pick. Like he's going to pan out into something. I just hope that the expectation isn't that he's going to be you know, contributing to the top six for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the next year or two because the fans have to take their time, pump the brakes a little bit, and let him develop into the player that he's going to be. I don't think you, you really need to – well, fans really need to get invested on this player. I mean, look, look who he's looking up at. There shouldn't be that much pressure on him. I mean, if he was waltzing in in 2015, 2016 when the Leafs were in rebuild mode, sure. Would it be intimidating? Absolutely. But now you got Matthews, Marner. Tavares, Nylander, Riley, that stable core that they're going to take a tremendous amount of time with this kid. And it's going to be similar to look no further than the opponent last night, Nick Suzuki. He had, you know, a lot of time to develop this year. He played back and forth in the NHL and in the minors. I think it's going to be kind of a similar path with Nick Suzuki in terms of adapting and growing into the NHL. But in terms of expectations, I don't think fans should get too invested just yet I know I was reading tweets a couple weeks ago it's like oh like he's gonna be like a Marner maybe he'll play in the top six no 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 this this kid has potential a ton of speed but let's not equate minor numbers to the NHL give this kid time and I think that 
playing right now in this new modified restart is going to bode well, certainly, for Nick Robertson. I think the Nick Suzuki example is a good parallel. And you see how long it can take to develop both sides of the game in the NHL because you saw both sides from that from Suzuki last night. I thought on the shorthanded goal where Kapanen sort of broke up the ice, got the initial shot on Price, and then Kerfa came in to bury the rebound. I thought that was all on Suzuki, to be honest. He didn't pick up the trailer. He was watching the puck, and he just let Kerfoot slide right into the slot, pick up the rebound, and bury it. Weber was already committed to Kapanen down low, so he wasn't looking for the trailer. And Tatar was a little bit late to the play on the breakout. He couldn't come and get pick up Kerfoot, and that's all on Suzuki. Then on the flip side, you do see the offensive prowess where he was able to sort of find Tatar on that cross-ice pass. looked like it went through all the teeth of the Maple Leafs defense, and they were able to bang it in. So you definitely see the offensive upside from a player like that and the defensive liability that can come with maturing into that sort of player. And that's what I think we'll see from Nick Robertson. So really like that example. One player that I thought had a hell of a game last night and had a, had a hell of a camp, to be quite honest, Ilya Mikheyev. This guy looks like he could be a stud playing on the wing with Marner and Tavares. I love this guy. Superman? Superman? Superman. Give the guy he, some borscht. Give him more soup for him. Like, whatever Campbell's he needs. Cup of soup. I will send this guy hungry man for a year if he well, can, it continues to produce in this playoff run. Well, it's pretty typical. I mean, the past couple years, you know, the Leafs will look overseas in May, June after they get eliminated or if they just didn't make the playoffs and accrue Russian players. Sometimes it doesn't pan out, league minimum deals. When I saw Ilya Mikheyev was picked up, I was like, okay, we'll see. Maybe like a bottom, bottom tier guy for the fall and then we're not going to see him. He shows up. I think he had like 29 points before he went down with that lacerated wrist injury, which yeah, looked 23 awful. 23 points on the season. 23? Yeah, but he only played 39 games. So it's basically... Only 39 games. Yeah, basically half a, half a point a game. Ken, this guy's got size, speed, frame, and he can give you time on the PK. And before he went down, as I said, he was tearing it up production-wise. Jake Muzzin was saying this the other day. He came back. He's in incredible shape. He's a horse in the workout room, and he's just a titan on the ice. You look at some of the goals he had this year. He's just outworking guys one-on-one, getting to the puck, and finishing. Ilya Mikheyev can definitely be an X-factor in this series and be a stable forward in the top six, no doubt. I think that was part of his game in the KHL, was that he was able to you know, make space for himself, create good shooting lanes, you know, was a pretty offensively gifted player in that league. But then the transition over to the NHL a lot of the time can take a little bit of finesse. And, you know, absolutely aside from the language barrier, just think about the size and size difference in the ice surface. The KHL has that huge Olympic size ice. There's so much more room to skate, so much more room to create offensively. Then you get over into the North American game where it's a little bit more constrained, a little bit more tight checking, a little bit more physical. And it can take time for a player to make that transition to the smaller ice surface and understand how to adjust his game after coming over from that sort of a league. Not to mention the language barrier. I mean, he couldn't really speak any English. No. When he got to Toronto and, you know, the players are having a little bit of fun with him now, you know, teasing him about the fact that his English is getting better and he's got a couple advertisements up on his Instagram, which are like whole paragraphs. Travis Dermott was having a little bit of fun with that one teasing him on Insta, saying that his English has gotten so much better from yesterday. 
He's so improved on, in many facets since coming back from injury. Let's yeah. just say that. And <laughs> I think that he really was impressed by the way that the Toronto Maple Leafs handled that whole situation. Like Kyle Dubas just setting up shops, staying with him in Newark or in New York City, rather, after the injury against the Devils and making sure in that In December too, Kenny. Yep. So he's yeah. even had a longer layoff, and he's come back with ease, transitioned well, with ease. Well, it actually benefited him to have the extra time just to rehab and come back because it was unlikely that if the playoffs started on time that there was going to be any chance that the Leafs saw Ilya Mikheyev. I mean, that injury was gruesome. I mean, gruesome, goodness. man. It looked like a, a crime scene out there. Like, it, and it's such a fluke play when the skate catches you. I mean, you hate to see it, but he's really taken advantage of the time to keep his body in good shape, you know, keep working out. And like you said, big frame, 6'3, 195. He wins one on one puck battles as far as five on five efficiency in the league. He's in the top 50, I think, of shots for goals for and assists for as far as production value is concerned at five on five per 60 minutes. I mean, the numbers don't lie and he's going to be the perfect player. I think to plug in on that line with Marner and Tavares. And he also had the opening marker last night, granted exhibition and it was 33 seconds in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was nice and early. And you like to see that as well. The confidence of JT and McKay of just undressing Shea Weber. You love to see it as a Maple Leafs fan, Shea Weber being looked like a peasant on that one. Another aspect of the game last night, I thought the Leafs were outstanding in special teams, particularly on the PK. Never like to see a team take six penalties in a game because usually that's going to amount to at least one or two markers on the other side. But Toronto able to go six for six on the penalty kill last night against Montreal, albeit not the most potent power play in the league. Well, this is going to be a problem for, for the Jackets, their, their playing opponents, because... Their penalty, or power play, rather, is terrible. No, they, they're going to have some serious trouble. They need to, to definitely fine-tune that as best they can. But again, that they, I mean, on paper, it's, it's going to be really, really challenging because the Leafs are just going to come at you with waves. And, you know, obviously the Jackets won a lot of one-goal games this year. They'll just wear and tear hockey in terms of puck retrieval and puck possession. I agree. Because Let's just finish up with uh, the Canadians a little bit here because there's a couple yeah. other things I want to get to before we get into the Jackets because I could talk about this series with the Jackets and once we get on that you know, train moving that way, we're not going to get back to the Montreal game. 0 for 3 on the power play, though, for Toronto. I thought that they had some good opportunities on the power play, and you know, a lot of this can be amounted to Carey Price playing well in the net for the Montreal Canadiens, but you would have liked to see them bang one in with extra man. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, with their power play, it's like, wow, it's fantastic on paper, but it's like that with that lineup, those five guys going up on the PP unit each time, each opportunity, they should be putting the puck in the net every time. I find there's too much finesse, too much passing, too much setup. Shoot the damn puck. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to rip one. It's as simple as that, man. And when it comes to Toronto in particular, one thing that I noticed they were doing on the power play or in fact weren't doing was, as you said, ripping those shots from the points. And that causes the opposing penalty killers to collapse down into the box around the net and really eliminate Tavares in front of the net and eliminate whoever's in the slot. But when the penalty killers don't respect the point shot and they don't think that it's a viable option, it just makes the front of the net so much more constrained. It's so much more difficult to get the puck in there and get the physical presence 
inside. So you need to be able to have that threat from up top to stretch it out the ice a little bit and give you a little bit more room to operate. Then you know what? And talking about Ilya Mikheyev earlier, he could maybe see some time if things aren't really gelling. Obviously, it's exhibition. You got to play it out a little bit more and see what this top lethal unit can do. But there's another guy, you know, I mean, talked about his frame, Parkman in front of the net. Well, Sheldon I mean, Keefe he is could, not afraid to shuffle up the lines. We know that for sure. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you're going to probably see experimentation of the all-star game line with Marner, Tavares, and Matthews. Imagine that, like two minutes left in, in a game when the Leafs are down one. All right, let's send out the all-star game trio. And you know who wouldn't do that? Is uh, their former head coach. <laughs> uh, does this his name, Mike Mabcock? Does it rhyme with that? Uh, we did see a, like a little bit of a rendition of that line last night, though. I noticed at the end of the first period, Sheldon Keefe put out Tavares, Nylander, and Matthews following up right. a penalty kill. And I love it. Like, get the big guns out there, particularly after a point where, you know, maybe some of the players, there's a penalty kill, so they haven't had a chance to get on the ice. You know, Marner can kill penalties for the Maple Leafs, but obviously those other guys don't do it as regularly. So, yeah, shuffle it up, get them out there after a TV timeout or whatever, where everybody's a little bit fresh or right before when you know that there's going to be a little bit of a break in the action so you can get your lines reset and back to normal. I love this experimentation and it keeps the opposing coach on their toes as well. Because if you're mixing and matching like that, it makes it more difficult for them to figure out what the matchup's going to be defensively, particularly if you're doing that as the home team and you have the exactly. last change. Exactly. What's their next move? Exactly. And that's one thing that Shudlin Keefe, I think, will have his work cut out for him in the series against Columbus. Let's get into It'll that. It'll be a chess match. Right now. Chess match with Torch. It's a chess match. And the coaches, a lot has been made to do about the coaching matchup and the styles of the coaches. It's been well documented. You know, John Tortorella, old school guy, been in the league forever. You know, Stanley Cup pedigree, won that cup with the Lightning back in the day. And he's really just the essence of an old school guy. Likes the tight checking, likes the physical play, likes the defensive oriented, you know, shot blocking, just getting in tight, making the other team work for everything they got. And then getting pucks deep, excuse the cliche, and punishing the opposing defense every time the puck goes into the zone. That's the kind of style that Columbus plays. And when you look at Toronto on the flip side, Sheldon Keefe, much younger guy, analytics-driven, skill-driven, really handpicked by Kyle Dubas for the style that Kyle Dubas wants to play. It'll be interesting to see how these two different coaching styles work out in this series. It will be. I mean, you have Sheldon Keefe who has – really taking taken over uh, with such ease and can relate to a young Maple Leafs team that is a team that is playing much more freer. Tortorella is a world-class coach, and you give him a bunch of role players, pretty much what he's set up with now, he can put something together and effectively win tight games. And that, that's something where Keefe is going to have his work cut out for him because he can throw out as much talent as he wants but Tortorella, you know, the makeup of the Jackets team, as I said before, is, is hard hat hockey, wear and tear hockey. So the styles are going to be much different. And on paper, obviously, the Leafs look much, much better. Much, yeah. much better in terms of offense and offensive production and flair, what have you. But Tortorella is going to make sure that these guys, whatever he has, he's, he's lost a, a world-class players in the past year, 
but he's going to make sure this team is going to drive the Leafs nuts. Tortorella doesn't give a shit about who's in the opposing locker room. He doesn't give a shit about the players. He doesn't give a shit about the coach. He'll walk into that locker room and tell that to them to their face if he doesn't like it. You remember that series back in the day? I think it was, uh, what was it? Was it the Canucks? It might have been. They, they just like went and just like popped we know what off. We did. He was trying to get into the other locker room. Like unreal. Like it was when he was with the Canucks. He's just a wild card. He is. He's going to get his team ready to play. You think that anybody, nobody, like I think there was only like one analyst last year, two analysts who, were picked, who picked Columbus to knock off Tampa Bay after their 129-point campaign. You think Tortorella gave a shit? Do you think that the Blue Jackets gave a shit? No. He didn't care who was in the other locker room. He didn't care, you know, what the accomplishment was during the regular season. He didn't give a shit that they were like the biggest underdog, I'd argue, in any of the series. He got them ready to play. They were down early in the first two periods of game one. They were able to come yeah. back. But then I don't. I want to know. I want to know what Tortorella. I would love to be a fly on the wall in first intermission of game the one wall. when they were down three nothing. Man, that's that's what I'm saying. Second intermission, like he fired it up. He's got the stones to stick with his goaltender, you know, like last year. I mean, a little bit different situation this year because, you know, you don't have a two-time best of winner in the pipes. But I thought it was a courageous decision last year to stick with Bobrovsky after giving up three in the first to be like, this is our guy. And if we're going down, especially in this game, we're going to go down with him. Bottom line is, you know, this is an old school guy who understands how to motivate his team. And I think that's going to be on Sheldon Keith that when the first adjustments sort of start to come and, you know, when the defense starts to get a little bit frustrating for the Toronto Maple Leafs and, you know, they aren't able to create as much offensively and, you know, they're getting hit and, you know, the shots aren't coming as well, that they're going to be able to make adjustments on the fly and be able to work through that, which is going to be critical to this series because the team that's able to adjust more to what the other team is throwing at them is going to be the one that comes out victorious. And last year for the Jackets against Tampa Bay, that was them. This is a series which can definitely go the distance in what you just said. I think it was maybe the Jackets' second practice. Ten minutes in, Torts blows the whistle, calls people to center ice, expletive-filled rant, and all right, we're back. But you think if Tortorella was coaching the Leafs, would that have a negative effect on their playing style? Because we uh, saw that's what happened with Babcock, right? Yeah, Babcock, I think, is kind of from the same cloth as Tortorella and being right. an old-school guy who preaches defense first. Obviously, when he was with the Maple Leafs, he had much more offensive pedigree on his side of the puck than Tortorella did or does with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So a little bit different in that sense, but I think that they're both – you know, hard-nosed guys who want their team to perform the right way. And when it comes down to offense versus defense, that's the big matchup that you look at between these two teams. Whether the Columbus Blue Jacket defense will be able to shut down the Maple Leafs' high-octane offense and really take advantage of the defense or the offensive chances that are going to come on the break from being able to do that. And on the flip side, whether the porous, leaky, whatever you want to call it, Toronto defense, is going to be able to shut down a Columbus offense that has been, quite frankly, one of the worst in the league over the last couple seasons. Well, I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Alex Wenberg down the middle doesn't really intimidate you when you compare it to Matthews Tavares. It's, yeah, it's, certainly, it, it's certainly going to be, I don't want to say uh, maybe, maybe a warm-up for the Leafs defense, 
versus the Jackets offense, but it's not as intimidating as a first round series versus, you know, a high flying Boston, Boston Bruins, Bruins offense or a Tampa Bay Lightning or so the Washington will, Capitals or whoever the hell it would be. Exactly. Exactly. So this is going to be a, maybe a fine tuned test for the Leafs defense to really get them like well-groomed for their actual next big, bad Bruins opponents, because I, I could probably see that. I don't know if they're, I mean, the round-robin games between the top four seeds, I don't think it's going to affect the Bruins. They're eight points ahead of the second-place team. Yeah. So, if this is – I mean, it's the eighth and ninth seed, respectively, Leafs and Jackets. So, be prepared to play the Bruins. Yeah. Well, I'd be careful, first off, with assumptions like that because looking past teams is the quick way to end your season and be heading to the golf course. Like you can't if, take the jackets for granted. You have to be able to get over this hump. I'm not taking. I'm not that, taking the jackets for granted. I'm saying if if they prevail against the jackets in five, because this game will go the distance. This series rather will go the distance. If they prevail against the jackets, be ready for a high octane flying offense in the Bruins. Yeah, and I think that'll be similar series in the sense that the jackets like to play that tight checking game. I know you said I brought it up a little bit earlier. They led the league in one goal game wins this year, which is kind of the opposite of what Toronto wants to do. So I think a big key for the Maple Leafs in the series is going to be taking advantage of your opportunities. And that particularly means on the power play and being able to stretch out the lead against this Jackets team because they are so comfortable just locking it down, playing tight checking, you know, strong mobile defensive core. They've gotten good goaltending out of the tandem this year. It's likely that we'll see Mers Lincolns in the Merz postseason. Lincoln, but yep. But Fresh Corpus off that two-year deal, too. Yeah, but Corpusalo, you know, if it's a, he'll have a short leash versus Lincolns if he isn't playing well. You know that in the beginning of the year, Corpusalo was the one getting it done for the Jackets. So I would feel like it'll be a little bit of a hair trigger for them, a little bit more of a hair trigger than the Maple Leafs, who I think are just probably going to stick with Frederick Anderson as the guy moving through. Like, I don't see Jack Campbell really getting a start unless, like, the unthinkable happens and, Anderson has two awful games and the Leafs are down two nothing. I don't think that we see Jack Campbell, but when we look at like the Jackets and for that matter, like the Bruins, these are two teams that play similarly and Toronto's going to have to cash in on those opportunities to be able to stretch the lead and then lock it down defensively. And you're able to do that if you can get, you know, two or three ahead, but if you're just giving up opportunities and missing the net and, you know, letting these teams hang around, that could be a real nightmare for Toronto. I think it would be a big nightmare as well. I mean, there's so many cases where the Leafs would just outscore their defensive problems. And at some point, it will catch up to you. When will that catch up to you? In the playoffs against bona fide top-tier teams. Like the Bruins, like the Lightning, like the Capitals. Yeah. The Jackets team this year, and this is something that we highlighted earlier, but let's get into it a little bit more. They've lost a lot of key pieces from what they had a year ago when they swept that Columbus series. And, you know, we brought up Bobrovsky, the two-time Vesna trophy winner. You brought up Panarin, who was, a, you know, a Hart Trophy finalist. You know, then you lose Matt Duchesne. He lives in free agency. You lose Ryan Dezingle. He leaves in free agency. Both acquisitions at the trade deadline to try to bolster this team. There's no Josh Anderson for the series in all likelihood. At least it doesn't seem like he's going to be healthy to play. Probably going to be out the whole series really the only guy that you brought in to replace all that offense and all that stuff that we were missing is Gustav Nyquist. How does Columbus replace all those star players, whether it be in net with Bobrovsky or whether it be up front where they're missing out on a 
tremendous amount of playoff scoring that they had last year at Panera and Duchesne. I mean, those guys have the pedigree and quite frankly, it doesn't seem like they have the guns up front to be able to put up those sort of numbers without those big name players. It's going to be, I like to call it a refine on the fly for Tortorella. I mean, even looking briefly at the game last night against the Habs, they will always, they don't have the, the, the flair and, and flashiness like the Leafs, but they will always wear the Leafs down and lock them up, lock them down. Because that's just the physical type of play that is similar in the jacket style. So they're not going to be able to replace these top guns that are now elsewhere around the league. They're going to have to just tune it up on the fly as best they can. And that's going to be, you know, having a good penalty kill. I think they were ranked 12th on the PK this year in the regular season. Blocking shots, just doing all of the intangibles, all the facets in the game that the Leafs really lack. And the only, the only way that the Leafs can jump out of that funk is just to score. So the Jackets, I mean, on paper, they, they do not match up at all, at all. We've mentioned that with the Leafs. It's going to be a, a roster-filled Jackets lineup that will just grind you into the ground. Yeah, they just grind out wins. I mean, same amount of points as it's Toronto not going to be sexy. Year. Same amount of points as Toronto this year. I mean, they had a couple more OT losses, less wins, but they both ended up, I think it was 81 points on the season when everything got shut down. So right. when you look at as well at the special teams, I mean, like ultimately when you talk about playoff series, the a lot of the time the difference ends up being, you know, we talked about the matchup in net and then it's the special teams play. As you said, the Jackets have pretty good penalty kill. I actually was surprised to see that it was ranked as low as it was ranks 12th I thought that they would have been a little bit better than that on the season uh power play as we mentioned before totally atrocious for the Columbus Blue Jackets eh? these guys just operating at just over 16 percent which is good enough for 27th in the league that's horrendous uh on the consequence the Maple Leafs and well let's go since Sheldon Keefe took over because nothing before that matters ever ever again um, so since November it's 21st, it's completely cut out. Yeah, shut, shut down. We're going to forget about those first, you know, X amount of games. I forget how many games it was, uh, 26 and a half percent on the power play, which is good enough for second in the league. I think the only team ahead of them was Tampa Bay since Keith took over and the penalty kill. I was actually impressed to see, you know, 13th in the league over that stretch, you know, operating at just over 80%. So that's pretty good statistics for the Toronto Maple Leafs special teams and I feel like you have to give the edge definitively to Toronto it's going to be up to them on the PK to make sure that they don't make Columbus's power play unit look like they're elite and it's going to be up to them on the power play to make sure that they're cashing in on their opportunities because ultimately when you get down to the grassroots of it this is the foundation that Kyle Dubas built the team on was that they weren't going to be able to make you pay physically for what you did. They weren't going to grind you down in the corners, but they were going to beat you with their speed, beat you with their creativity. And because they were going to be able to create these plays and create space, the other team is going to be forced to take penalties. And then that was supposed to be the enforcer of this team. The fact that they were able to operate so efficiently on the power play that if you get frustrated with the skill and get frustrated with the talent, that they're going to make you pay by cashing in on those power play opportunities. And that's what Toronto is going to have to do during this series. And I, I do like, you know, one of the best acquisitions for the, the Leafs was through Dubas in acquiring Kyle Clifford and Jack Campbell from the Kings in a mid season pickup, because, you know, a they took a lot of heat. 
a lot of heat after Kadri yeah. and Komarov left, Matt Martin would have you. They lacked grit. They lacked, you know, that sandpaper element to their game. But, you know, even having Clifford with that Stanley Cup experience, he's, you know, ferocious competitor. He'll just eat up whatever minutes he can. He'll defend the star players. And he's that's going to be... Sandpaper, man. You know, sandpaper's key, man. Like, he's going to have he's gonna have that ability to, okay, if, if someone roughing up Marner or Matthews or Nylander, like, all right, next shift. Because that's what the Jackets are going to primarily depend on is their, is their physical prowess. So it's, it's good to have Clifford into that mix to kind of offset that. You need a little bit of it, man. Like, you do. And, uh, people can say the analytics are trending this way and, you know, the game is – transitioning out of that sort of older enforcer role and they're completely right but that doesn't change the fact that the teams that are able to combine the physical nature of the game yes with the skill are the ones who are the most successful and you need not look further than the two stanley cup finalists last year the two best to do it in the league the st louis blues and the boston bruins both have done a tremendous job in building their franchises with enough skill up front to put the puck in the net but then enough, like we said, sandpaper, enough physicality, you know, that two-way game, defensive Rip. responsibility, that they're able to shut it down and also wear down the other team. Like, for example, last year in the Western Conference Finals against San Jose, St. Louis just wore down the Sharks. I mean, there was like, towards the end of that series, there was one game where there was like 10 guys on the bench for San Jose because everybody else was just getting carted to the locker room. You know, it seemed like every other shift. And that's what happens in these postseason series you have to wear down the other teams you know Clifford is a guy that's going to be going into those corners that the you know the Columbus defenders are not going to want to see he's going to get real friendly with Seth Jones I would think by the end of the series you know Wierenski I think who might have a couple brush-ups with him and that's what they're going to have to do because these Columbus defenders particularly their top pairing which I just mentioned are able to do it on both sides of the puck they're able to shut it down defensively but also can join the transition on the rush and that's when Columbus can be a really dangerous team when they catch, you know, your forwards a little bit deep and they're able to counterattack on the odd man rush and get their defense involved in, in that sort of offensive forecheck and get them down low and get them opportunities. So it'll be critical for Toronto to engage in that and wear those guys down and make them not want to, you know, go into those corners as frequently and make them understand that when you go in there, you're going to get hit. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the bone crunching, you know, Zidane Chara or no, not you know, at it doesn't all. have to be Ryan Reeves going in there, but awesome. Matthews, a big guy, you know, John Tavares, veteran guy, you know, Ilya Mikheyev, big guy, like just go in there and rub some shoulders and make them no. at least understand that there's going to be some bodies coming at you. If you're going to go in those gritty areas to touch the puck. Yeah, because look at Kenny. That's what teams have to resort to if if it's not going offensively. Look, how many times this year did some – like, remember that one game where someone took a run at Barry, open ice, and Matthews just kind of swiveled over and was like, I'm not dealing with that. Wasn't it? Was it Petrie? Yeah, I think Petrie killed Barry just got smoked. Yeah, and Matthews just did the flyby. Yeah. Petrie was ready to drop the gloves, but Matthews just sort of skated right by like nothing happened. Like, I love Matthews, and you'd never want to see a star player drop the gloves. Push the guy. Yeah, yeah, give 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 him a little something. Give him a little chop in the back. Like I don't I don't think anybody would have been upset if Matthews took a penalty on that play. No, definitely not. That's, That's what, what teams will lean towards, man. So now with that, you know, because they're like, well, I know the Leafs are just high octane offense all the time. Let's put a screw in that playing style and rough them up a bit because they're, we know 
opposition is going to be like, we know the Leafs aren't going to retaliate, but now with only Clifford as an element, even Clifford and Kapanen together, man, maybe that will be mixed up. You know, Keith likes to shuffle the lines. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens with Sheldon because you know that he for sure has no problem mixing stuff up. I mean, when you look at the three top players, like not just Matthews in particular, even, but when you look at Matthews, Nylander, Marner, and to a lesser extent, you know, Morgan Riley. I mean, these are players who now have made the postseason for the last three years in a row. And then this will be the fourth. I don't know. It's technically not the playoffs yet, I guess, but postseason for sure. How much pressure is on these players at this point to deliver? Because this isn't going to be a playoff series win, but they certainly have to beat the Jackets. And then you would think that at this point, there's going to be a lot of chatter going on in the Toronto. If they can't figure out a way to beat the Boston Bruins and win a playoff series when it matters. There is a substantial amount of pressure on those three guys in particular. And probably Anderson as well, because they're yeah, I would 0-3, lump Anderson in there. 0-3 in the playoffs. And it's, it's going to be filled with a lot of pressure because these three players in particular, Marner Matthews and Nylander, are being paid as if they already have a cup. They're, they're being paid significant contracts, as we know. We won't get into the, the cap crunch, cap salary. Yeah, I refuse, we're not mass guys, really. Yeah, yeah. I refuse to bring up the cap situation. For Toronto, you guys know the contracts. Everybody, everybody knows what's going on, and it's yeah. the favorite thing to talk about for every other yeah. fan base. And it drives me fucking insane. <laughs> That's like we're entering a postseason run, and everybody just wants to talk about how they're going to sign the players that they have and how they're going to, you know, you know, do this or do that. Anyways, yeah. that's all I'm going to say about it. There will be time to address that in the off season, but it drives me fucking crazy, and I can't, I can't stand it. But that is where the pressure is going to stem from because it's like, okay, we have given you deals. We have given you security. Go out and play. And first of all, win around for starters. But there is so much pressure for, for this year. And I know it's a modified restart and it's, it's going to be different. There's no fans. Get it. But just in terms of a series and games, like especially for Nylander, I mean, you know, last year he wasn't locked up till December. And then people are like, well, he still has to get into the swing of things. You know, he started to get his mojo together. No excuses this year. I think out of the three, Kenny, the most pressure lands on William Nylander. Yeah, he's had a really good season. Last year, you know, not the best season. You know, these waiting in the negotiation, you know, didn't get to play till December. It, it was just not a good start for the organization, not a good start for him. He came over, had trouble getting up to NHL speed. It just, it wasn't a good season by William Nylander standards. And this year he's come back with vengeance. I think he's looked excellent at times. He's been the Maple Leafs most dominant forward on the ice out of that group. And it's going to be a huge postseason for him. You know, that he's the most polarizing player. Uh, that's probably more of a generational thing than anything. I feel like for some reason, like all the older Maple Leafs fans can't fucking stand this guy. And they just were ready to like run him out of town like every other year. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a massive playoff for him. And it's not to state the obvious. It's going to be a massive playoff for the goaltender as well. Frederick Anderson, I mean, he has one year after this left on his contract at $5 million, And the questions and the rumors are already starting to fly, flurry around Toronto, whether or not this is the guy who's going to be able to get it done long term. This playoff run is going to go a long way in understanding that because, quite frankly, he hasn't played his best hockey in the postseason, you know, he's played good games. There's been times where he's risen to the occasion, but he hasn't played at that consistent level 
to be able to beat the other guy in net. And when you're looking at, you know, whether it was the Washington series, you know, when you're looking right. down at the other end and it's, you know, I think that year was the Holtby. tandem. It was Holtby and Grubauer, I think, may have gotten a sniff. Then and you, you had Rask and Next year, it's Tuka Rask. Yeah. Tuka Rask has been one of the best playoff goaltenders ever in the history of the game. I actually think he might be number one in postseason save percentage all time, which is a little bit misleading because, you know, the advanced analytics, blah, blah, blah. Point being, he shuts it down for Boston when it matters most. And Toronto's going to need Anderson to do that for them if they're going to take that next step. It sounds like such a cliche because it all, always comes down to goaltending in the playoffs. But Toronto's going to need Anderson to be the best version of himself if they're going to have any chance at beating Columbus and then moving on to beat the Boston Bruins. I think so, too. It's, it's going to be, as I said before, he lands under that four in terms of high-pressure situations in net. I mean, of course, it, he's 0-3 in the playoffs. We had to play the Capitals and then the Bruins twice. So perhaps this play-in series, looking down the ice and seeing Merzlikens or Corpus Allo, obviously is not going to be that intimidating. But again, this is where I like to play in, man, because teams can fine-tune their playing style and it will give you know whatever goalie comes out on top that extra boost going in against uh, a top-four team in the East or West, what have you that really was just kind of playing a round-robin game that was probably not taken seriously, even less than an exhibition game. So it would be extremely effective for a goalie's confidence uh, coming out on top in a play-in game. We should say as well, um, Anderson against the Blue Jackets, 6-2-3 and three in his career with a 9-18 save percentage. Uh, on the other side, Corpus Allo, 1-1, one one, sub-900 save percentage, so not that impressive. And uh, Merz Lincolns, he's never played the Leafs, but five shutouts and 24 appearances this season for Columbus. Um, season series, they split it 1-1. One, one. Uh, the Leafs getting the bear of the Jackets in round one on the road at Columbus, 4-1. to one. And Then the Jackets getting the Leafs 4-3 in OT about three weeks later. So it's been an even matchup so far. Uh, BMAC, give me a quick prediction on the series. I know you said that you think it's going the distance. I'm going to say five. Five for Leafs. Leafs yeah, it's five. like five what? <laughs> what's what's going on five Leafs and Leafs in five games yeah five points five total points for the Leafs five total points. I don't think that's going to be enough I think, that, <laughs> I, I think they I can't confirm or deny but I think that they may may or may not need <laughs> six points to advance Leafs win it in five games yeah I'm gonna say a little bit less I'm confident in the Maple Leafs forward group to be able to get things done uh nothing against Columbus I just don't see them having the offensive pedigree to be able to compete through, you know, a five game series with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think there'll be a couple one goal games in there. I suspect Toronto will come out flying in the first game, be able to take that one. Columbus will push back in game two, I suspect, and tie the series up at one. But then I think Toronto takes games three and four just to put it on ice, probably, you know, a little bit more of a blowout, blow it wide open in game four situation, maybe like a, you know, five to two, you know, four to one, five to two situation. Whereas I think prior to that, it'll be a lot of one goal contests, true to form for the Columbus Blue Jackets. There's definitely going to be one blowout game. Yeah. And I suspect that it'll probably like be like a six, two. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the Maple Leafs came out flying in the first game and put up big numbers and then sort of get punched in the mouth a little bit the second game, but You'd like think, lose two, one or something. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it all counts the same, though. It's like there's no aggregate yeah. goals. This isn't the Champions League. <laughs> all right, should we debut our segment here? Let's do it. All right, 
fit or not. Ripley's Belief It or Not. Believe Ripley's Aquarium or not feeling like down on Bremner. Yeah. Feeling like the intro was cute, but might delete it later. The preview of what we hope will be the award winning segment. We're going to propose a question and then you're going to tell us whether you believe in that question or the results of that question or not. So let's start out with this one. BMAC, one of the Leafs big three, whether it's Tavares, Matthews or Marner will end up in the top five in playoff points. Do you believe it or not? I believe it. And I lean towards Tavares as being in the top. You believe it? I believe it. See, this is a little bit of a, of a tough question, and I'll tell you why. Because to assume that, I think any of those three players have the chops to do it, but to assume that any of them is going to be in the top five, basically what you're saying is that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to make it to at least the Eastern Conference Finals. At least, because if they can't play the amount of games, then just the numbers don't work. Like very rarely do you see a player who only plays, you know, in the first two rounds end up being in the top five in playoff scoring, just because generally they've ended up playing, you know, eight, nine, 10, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, 12 or 14 games less than the teams who end up going to the Eastern Conference and then the Stanley Cup final. So to say this is to automatically assume that Toronto is going to be able to make it that far. I'm not convinced at this point that Toronto's going to be able to make it that far and call me cynical, call me a skeptic, but I need to see the Maple Leafs beat the Columbus Blue Jackets first and then beat the Boston Bruins and then beat the Tampa Bay Lightning is basically what you're saying. If you think that Toronto, these guys are going to be in the top five in points, if they can get that done, then obviously the reasoning that they're there is because these guys were able to put up the numbers in bunches and they're going to be in that echelon. I'm going to say not, though, because I'm not convinced yet that this team is ready to take the transition from being, you know, one of the most dynamic offensive teams and, you know, a young team growing group to take that next step, similar to the step that the Washington Capitals were able to take a couple of years back and elevate their game to be able to compete with the really elite teams in the league like Boston and Tampa Bay. I stand by my opinion. I believe it. And the biggest thing haunting the Leafs, quite frankly, is the fans. You know, you know how passionate Leaf fans are, but if you're playing in an empty arena, you know under Keith, the Leafs were playing much more loose and freer. Once puck drops for playing, it's just going to, as I said before, off the top, Kenny, it's just going to be an, atten- an intensified scrimmage. Amen. But you don't and have to go to... that much more freer. But you don't have to go to the TD. You don't have to go back to Boston for yeah. You don't have to go to the TD Garden for games one and two, and that is such a terrible atmosphere for Toronto. Like how many times have they been slaughtered in that building? Like a beat. This is why I think the Leafs will go far, and Tavares could be in top five at the conclusion of the playoffs in points because they're not going to have that element of fans and distraction. It's like okay, we're going from Royal York to dressing room to ice. We're not we'll dealing stay with off any the social media. Yeah, no reporters after the game. You know, go yeah, go full bubble. on zero dark thirty. Pull a LeBron James and just wipe Shut everything out. It's down. 
<laughs> Maple Leafs will see more than five games from Leafs forward Nick Robertson in the postseason playoffs, whatever you want to call it. I believe it. I really, I really, as I said earlier, I like what I saw from Robertson last night, a good tune-up game. And I think Keefe and Leafs management are really high on this kid. And sure, just start him in the bottom tier, bottom six, you know, manage his minutes. And I could, I could definitely see him, you know, playing maybe a couple games in the plan. And then at the, at the Leafs advance, he could, he could be a, a beneficiary for sure. I think, again, this question is sort of based off the Leafs being able to beat Columbus. You're going to see him for five games. You could see him potentially for five games in the Columbus series, you know, if it goes to five and he plays all five. I do think that the kid will be on a little bit of a shorter leash with Sheldon Keefe because, you know, you have more veteran players in the lineup who can sort of crack in there, you know, whether it be Gautier or Engelval, we don't know who's going to be sitting. But I do think that I believe this because Toronto is going to be looking for that dynamic sort of secondary scoring that they haven't been able to get all season. I know Kerfoot had two goals against Montreal. He had the deflection on Riley. Then he had the, also the goal on the shorthand that, you know, he's going to need to be good for Toronto for them to have success. But I think Robertson five, five games plus, I think that they'll probably sneak by Columbus. And I think that if they do sneak by Columbus, then we're going to be seeing a lot of him in the Boston series, you know, maybe in and out of the lineup, but for sure at least five games. So I believe that one for sure. Next, Rasmus uh, Sandin. Your boy, Rasmus Sandin, will play more than two games in the play-in series against Columbus. You believe it or not? I don't believe it. I still believe that Sandin needs... You believe in Nick Robertson, but you don't believe in Rasmus Sandin. Yep. That's I mean, the, right <laughs> now, man, <laughs> That's all looking, at, looking at the, the Leafs defense, I don't think, especially for the play-in, you know, they've had to cycle around a lot of bodies on the back end a lot. And right now, I think Keefe has pretty much solidified a pretty decent back end for at least the play-in. But I I think that the only way Sandine's getting in there if, if it's injury-related yeah. for another player, for him to get that sub in. It would seem like the fact that they dressed Marincin as the seventh D against Montreal would indicate that Keefe is leaning towards Marincin being the seventh D if anybody gets injured, that he'll plug into the lineup. I mean, Leaf fans seem to have polarizing opinions about this gentleman, I would say, on the back end. I feel like the only way Sandine cracks the lineup is if there's multiple injuries on the right. back end. It's really what yeah. it comes down to. It doesn't look like they're going to rush to plug this guy in. We know that defenders no. in general usually take a little bit longer to develop. And although he had a pretty good year in the AHL this year, he's still really just – that's his – one year of real pro experience that's similar to NHL play under his belt. I just think that Sandine, when you look at his game in general, is probably going to be a key part of this team next year and moving forward. But I don't think that the coaching staff necessarily has the confidence to be putting him as a big part of the lineup to choose some playoff minutes at this point in his career. All right. On to our opposing coach. On to the opposing coach, John Tortorella. Your boy. BMAC, I know you're a big fan of the top 10 torts highlight reel. We know what we did. We know what we, we, know did. What we, we know did. What we did. What'd you do? Brooksy, if I want to tell you, I'd tell you. Okay, great. Get the hell out of here then. Okay, see ya. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that we have that quintessential John Tortorella moment? Do you believe, belief rather, that Tortorella gets ejected from this series, from a game 
I mean, for me, it's a no. I don't think that he's going to get ejected from a game, but I would be surprised if we didn't see some of those classic John Tortorella moments in the post game after a couple losses to the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know that he's not very happy when it comes down to those pressers after a loss. I believe it. We'll definitely have some good sound bites post game for every game, but an ejection. Yes, I think we're going to get one ejection because you the Leafs think are going he's to have, get ejected. I think he's going to get ejected. Uh, one of the Leafs are going to have one of those games, as I said before, like a six-two, seven-two, what have you. There's like a couple and, shitty penalties called. Yeah, and then, then he's going to be like, you know, Toronto like didn't do it right. Yeah, he's just going to be like, you know, it's going to be typical tort rants. But I think, yeah, like ten minutes to go in the third, jackets down by five, kind of that scenario. Jackets down by points. five, Jesus! Throw some respect on that franchise. Nobody would love That's to how see I think it more he'd get ejected. Toronto, but. Yeah, well, if the, if the if the Leafs have like eight power plays and their jackets are down by True. five goals and like they're still calling like weird inner ghost interference penalties or like the stick gets tied up and it's tripping penalties, like yeah, I could see Tortorella getting ejected. Do I think that's going to happen? I mean, I tend to lean to no. I think that you'll get some of those classic tort moments and those classic tort sound bites, but to get thrown out of a game, I mean, you really, really have to mouth off to the ref and. I, I don't see that one happening in this series. All right, let's get to the goaltending situation for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, this is more of a look at the postseason or like what's going to happen in the offseason based off of what's going to happen during this postseason run. Do you believe that the Maple Leafs will extend Frederick Anderson at the conclusion of these playoffs? I believe it. You believe? I believe it. And only if it's a deep run. That's it. They have to beat the Bruins. If they beat the Bruins, then I could see him getting the extension. That's his bank. That's his payday. You beat the Boston Bruins, here's a new fat check for you. That's it. Now, I know we'd said that we weren't going to bring up the cap. Like, the numbers do get a little bit tricky because he signed at $5 million a year, and he would likely demand a raise. Now, I don't know how much, you know, Kyle Dubas and, you know, Brendan Shanahan would have squirrel to the side to sign this guy long-term. I think that there are enough questions in Toronto that he would have to have one hell of a playoff run right now coming off really the worst season that he's had since he's been with the Maple Leafs. And that's including, you know, his first season where they were basically, you know, what was that against the Capitals where they sort of impressed, but it's like, that wasn't supposed to be a year where they're even competing. So for his year to be as up and down as it was this year, where he had difficulty finding his game, this postseason run is going to be essential for him because, you know, especially when you look at these goaltenders, how easy is it to perform under a lame duck contract where you have, you know, the last year, it doesn't really show a lot of confidence in your ability as a goaltender. There's a lot of questions about where you're going to be in the off season, whether you're going to be settled into the same city. I feel like they would like to get it done, an extension done, especially so they have a number on paper and then they can structure some of the other contracts moving forward, but it's all going to be, based off the Maple Leaf series. So I believe it if Toronto beats Boston, but it's going to be a no for me if they can't make it past Columbus or Boston. I mean, because they aren't going to be able to sign this guy long-term if he's not able to put up the numbers in the postseason, which he hasn't done on a consistent basis to this point. Which brings us to the X factor, BMAC. And, you know, I'm going to stay away from the goaltending and the special teams because those ones are a little bit more on the nose as far as the X factor is concerned in the playoffs. I mean, those are well-documented. So I'm going to go with the player as the X factor for the Maple Leafs against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it's none other than our guy we've been pumping the tires of all show. It's Ilya Mikheyev. (laughs) 
I mean, Superman, guy, Superman. Su- yeah, the Superman. And it, it's a huge opportunity for him to play on the wing. Sort of brings a similar style of game to Zach Hyman, not necessarily crunching by. It's a little bit more finesse. But he'll go. He'll win the one-on-one puck battles. He drives, you know, production and assists. He drives the production and points. He's got a good release. You know, he had that hat trick in the Leafs scrimmage. You know, was voted the MVP of the Leafs camp. I mean, he's been in form, as they say in soccer. McCabe is in form right now. I mean, he's got, his technique seems sound. He's putting pucks in the back of the net, and he's going to have a lot of opportunity with Tavares and Marner, who are going to be putting this puck on his stick a lot. And it's going to be up to him to cash in. I think he has the chops to do it, and the Leafs are going to try to get him extended long term. Looking into this offseason is just a question of whether that what that number is and who they have to move on from, whether it's Kapanen or Janssen, I think probably the latter of the two. I would think that Janssen's probably on the block with the way that Mikheyev has been yeah. able to play this season and then the way he looks now and should look coming into this postseason. Yeah, this Mikheyev for me all, all the way. And if he can get that line cooking, if JT and Marner rather can get that line cooking to a similar rate that they were at last year with Hyman there, oh, baby, that could be dangerous for any team. I like Campbell's soup for sure. McCabe is up there for me. But I'm going to lean towards William Nylander because now, the, as I said before, the pressure is on. The, the deal is done. There's none of this. Well, he's going to take some time to transition. William Nylander has the potential to be as lethal as David Pasternak in terms of playing style and, you know, being effective for the Leafs as Pasternak is for the Bruins. Now it's the time to produce when it matters. And it's, it's no better time for Nylander to prove that and prove his high AAV 6.9. I know we're not going to talk about it, but 6.9. This is, this is the time for, for Nylander to shine and show that, yes, that deal was something I can live up to and be a force for this Leaf Hockey Club. I honestly think that that deal will end up being the best deal out of all three of them. All three of the other deals, like out of the Tavares deal, out of the Matthews deal, out of the Marner deal, I think bang for buck, Nylander's deal will end up being the best deal for all of them. So there's no doubt that this is going to be a huge playoff run for William Nylander and the way that the fan base perceives him. So we talked about it earlier. He's the most polarizing player to me of the core players of the Toronto Maple Leafs. All the old guys hate him because of the holdouts and whatever it is, you know, putting the money before the team, but I don't hate on him for that. You know, you got to make money when, when you put a number down, what you think you're worth, hold out for what you think you're worth. It is what it is, but when you, but now follow it up. Yeah. You arbitrarily put more pressure on yourself to be able to perform. And when you look at the postseason, you know, this is when you're going to be criticized if you don't put the numbers up. And I would contend that for all those guys up front, whether it's Tavares, whether it's Marner, whether it's Nylander, whether it's Matthews, all those guys are going to have a target on their back if they are able to produce in the series against Columbus and then assuming that they get past them, the series against Boston. It's a lot to live up to, man. I mean, you look, you look at the other side of it with the Jackets, they only have one twenty goal scorer in Oliver Bjorkstrand. They don't have these mammoth contracts, long-term, yeah. high AVs. So, yes, this is a very, very critical series for William Nylander. Critical playoffs for Nylander. Yeah, critical playoffs for the whole team. A lot of pressure on the Toronto Maple Leafs as a group, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, can't wait for Saturday, can't wait for Sunday, so all this stuff starts to get underway here. I mean, it's been a long time coming, and it is so good for NHL hockey to be back. 
Last yeah. night felt like Saturday night hockey, Kenny. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about it. Unreal that you have these, you know, Canadian matchups on, you know, a Tuesday night. You know, Leafs, right. Habs, you get the Oilers, you know, Flames going on a little bit later. It, it did have that Saturday night feel, and it's so exciting for the NHL to be back. I'm stoked. Saturday, the real Saturday can't come soon enough. Well, this has been episode one of the Leafs podcast on the podcast, the Hockey Podcast Network, rather. Um, Ken Stapon and Brendan McCarthy with you. Thank you for listening. I think new episodes are going to be coming out every Monday, so keep an eye on that at HockeyPod.net and throw us a follow on Twitter at Ken Stapon and at McCarthy 95 Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.